0: So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today.
1: This is Internet Marketing. Hello and welcome to the Internet Marketing Podcast brought to you by Site Visibility. I'm your host, Scott Colnutt. And with me today is Michael Loban, Chief Growth Officer at InfoTrust. We're going to be talking about understanding the why of user behavior. So welcome to the podcast, Michael. Thank you, Scott. Wonderful to be here. Excellent. I'm really looking forward to the topic today because a little bit of context for our listeners. Well, one, we haven't discussed too much about surfacing user behavior insights and then how to influence users based on those insights recently. And number two... I know, Michael, that this is very much a day-to-day obsession for you. I've seen your content, and congratulations, by the way, on your recent book release. I have that in front of me, Crawl, Walk Run. Congratulations. How does that feel being an author and having that book out there?
2: It really does not feel uh, much different. Uh, (laughs) It's obviously been in in my head and the heads of my colleagues uh, for quite some time now. I've been in the space of digital analytics for over 10 years. And uh, we decided to share our findings and learnings uh, with a wider audience. And uh, we are very fortunate that we received uh, quite positive feedback about the book.
1: Excellent. Yeah, I'm always interested because sometimes there's a moment that triggers someone to release a book. So in marketing, I often find if you're coming up against the same problems over and over again, those frustrations can cause you to write a book and want to release it to the world. Sometimes it's people that have a vision for the future and they just want to share that vision. Was there anything particular for you that triggered this and made you think, Oh, I really need to release this to the world. Well, I think
2: what we've noticed is uh, as our organization works with uh, some of the world's largest premier brands, uh, global enterprises, uh, there are a lot of questions that we get that are very unique to those organizations, but a lot of questions are similar. And, uh, Typically we work with a very small group of our organizations, and there are hundreds, if not thousands, of other small companies that are struggling with the same questions. They might not have resources of a large advertiser, but they still are trying to understand the why, right, behind their customers' online behavior. And with that, the idea was: well, there's only so many organizations that we can actually meet face to face and work with on a day-to-day basis, right? Even as Infotrust grows to a much larger organization and we have, fairly large as is, uh, it's still only a fraction of businesses that we will ever work face-to-face. But how do we share what we know with other organizations that we might not be working with? Uh, how do we help a local gym that is trying to advertise themselves? How do we help uh, maybe a nonprofit organization that is looking to, grow its online presence and use analytics uh, to uh, find the online types of people that will support that organization. So there are so many different questions that uh, organizations are asking. uh, And we thought, well, maybe there is an opportunity for us to put together this book and uh, share our knowledge. Not to mention that we were doing our own market research. Uh, we found that m- a lot of books that are written on a subject are quite technical, right? They talk about how to set up a dashboard or how mm. to build a report. We want you to take a business approach. Certainly, there are sections of the book that talk about uh, the technical how, but ultimately, how do you actually accomplish results within the organization from things like business uh, change management? And then, how does the technology fall into your overall digital transformation
1: that's really interesting that you touch on that because one of the reasons i was so excited to have this discussion with you in particular is because i can see from your content and from my research and from your book you have the technical expertise but what i really like and what we'll talk about in this episode is about building the narrative because it's ultimately the storytelling approach to data and analytics that helps bring this to life and helps you helps marketers and business owners Surface the insights; they're actually going to make a difference to their business. That's what stood out to me in all of this content. And uh, I was just saying to you before we press record that there was a kind of a micro piece of content that I saw on the Genius Network where you touched on this topic, and I wanted to expand a little bit more on that today.
2: Yeah, the idea of narrative is very much dear to my heart. Uh, last uh, last week, our organization uh, had the retail summit uh, this focus on e-commerce analytics. And I was doing a keynote Q&A with Neil Hoyne, who is the chief measurement officer at Google. And uh, one of the topics uh, that we were discussing was this narrative and the ability to tell stories with analytics. A lot of people on the marketing analytics or data analytics side that they often kind of complain to us uh, uh, saying that my management does not pay attention to all the reports that I have built for them, right? Or no one, is, no one cares here about sure. analytics. And our response is, well, that might be an interesting observation or perception, but is that really what is happening? Or are they not able to tell the story or the narrative is that information? And use the data as the way to prove our point, to explain, to provide the background information, to prove our hypothesis, right? But at the end of the day, we really need to be better at selling a story, at selling our explanation, at selling our reasoning or business proposition. And data is a great way for us to build our case, but data does not equal story. And I
1: think a lot of people confuse those two. Mm. So we'll get into all of that in a little bit more detail as this episode goes on. But I realized at the beginning, I've introduced you as the Chief Visibility Officer. I've introduced you as an author. But how would you describe what you do in your own words for our listeners? How do you bring to life your role at InfoTrust?
2: So as a Chief Growth Officer at InfoTrust, uh, my role is to help and grow the organization. And uh, predominantly, my role is... Uh, in meeting with our current uh, and uh, prospective uh, partners, clients, uh, and uh, see how analytics uh, can help transform or can help disrupt their business. Uh, with some organizations, uh, we identified very specific let's say, use case that we work on. For example, can we accomplish better targeting uh, if we start leveraging customer lifetime value models? And in that case, we begin working on a very specific uh, challenge, uh, and we put together our uh, solution Uh, or a lot of times organization will approach us uh, with a much broader perspective of we need to restructure our digital analytics team or how do we think about our e-commerce strategy uh, in this new privacy-centric world can you help us with those so my role is to is an exciting one because i get uh, to meet this uh a lot of organizations globally, I get to understand where they are in terms of their adoption of uh, digital analytics, how they use it to benefit their business, and then help them put together these new strategies or ideas uh, for how to do it
1: best. And so that leads nicely onto my first question, because before I go into how you recommend people start to understand the why, I think it's all important to know the common pitfalls to avoid. So where do you see most people waste their time? Maybe what frustrates you that you see often? And what do you recommend people avoid doing when they're looking to understand the why?
2: The common pitfall that I still see is uh, organizations, I think, over-investing in tools versus people. I think it's fairly easy to I see that a typical enterprise might have dozens, if not hundreds of different point solutions, right? We have a digital analytics platform, we have a CRM platform, we have a loyalty program, we have a data management platform, we have a product recommendation solution that we have on our website, we have a personalization solution that we have on our website. And it's very easy to have this Frankenstein of analytical tools that are fused together. And a lot of times, organizations do not get the most value out of the products that they pay for. And I think it's not to mention that uh, you know we look at that as uh, what are the platforms, uh, what are the people that need to be using those platforms, and what are the processes that we need to put in place to successfully use those solutions. Until the organization can answer those three, it probably should wait until just investing money or buying uh, into more solutions and tools. That's probably the big thing that I see happening, especially with organizations that have fairly large digital budgets, is we we tend to be very quick at Mm. spending them on on solutions.
1: Mm. And instead, it's more important, you think, to have the, the right people that can ask the right questions to get the most out of those tools if you invest in them. Is that fair? Well,
2: I think that the first question is, what are we here really to accomplish? Right? Do we want to increase our consumer satisfaction line? Do we want to sell more products more profitably online? Do we want to build our first-party data asset? So we have to first understand what is that exactly that we are after. And then uh, we need to look at not just platforms within, for the sake of looking at what platforms I can benefit from, But if I do decide that I need a platform, who are the people that will be using that platform? And do I have the right processes for those people to actually leverage those platforms? So you cannot buy a solution without considering the other two components of this, let's say, execution triangle, right? People, processes, and platforms. I've seen that uh, happen way too many times when the organization heavily invests in platforms and then we get invited, hey, can you help us master this solution? Or maybe... Can you help us bring these uh, tools together and integrate them into one? And the question is, well, how much waste has already been done until we re-engineer, right? How much money has been spent on something that possibly did not work?
1: So that leads me nicely, actually, to a starting point. So I was going to ask you, where do you recommend people start when they want to surface customer insights? And so... It sounds like, and maybe you can elaborate on this. The first thing is know the right questions you, you want to ask about your business.
2: Absolutely, know the right questions so that uh, you, you want uh, to get a, an answer for. Right, uh, you have a the better question you have a better answer you will receive. And so, and mm. the question should be really, what is that that we are after? Right, what do we want? Uh, what type of behavior do we want to? influence, right? We can't control consumers, nor should we ever attempt to, right? But we can see, can I use analytics to better understand their behavior? And what do I need to do to perhaps influence their behavior or help them make the right type of decision? Consumers have uh, tons of different choices, a lot of different products, product ads are being thrown at them. And we can use analytics to make their life and their decision process a little bit easier there is a great opportunity for us to leverage analytics.
1: And so I know this goes into the framework about building your narrative that I referenced at the beginning. So really this whole questioning process, you have a framework for. And so perhaps can you break down this framework of build your narrative and expand on the who, what, and results part of that?
2: Sure. So when we think about the narrative is, uh, you know, well, it starts with who is our ideal customer? Because you cannot uh, build the, uh, Uh, ideal uh, consumer journey for everyone, right? You have different audiences. So the first question is, who is our audience? That's why I'm a huge proponent of doing customer lifetime value analysis, trying to understand uh, what group of customers uh, is the one that is most financially beneficial for your business and what is unique about that group of people. Then what does that audience do right now online, right? How do they find our brand? How do they find our products online right now? How do they engage with our website right now? And the narrative can be something as simple as, uh, you know, instead of showing somebody that, hey, time on the website is two minutes or the bounce rate is 30%, right? Those numbers by themselves don't mean much. My narrative might be something on the lines of, let me introduce you to Scott. Uh, Scott is a typical... uh, customer for our business. He is between uh, 25 to 35. He lives here. And Scott visits our website two, three times a week. Now, when Scott visits our websites, he tends to look at the following products. And then when he looks at the product, he tends to select uh, uh, usually one out of five that he looks at and add them to the shopping cart. But the interesting thing that keeps happening is when Scott adds the product to the shopping cart, he does not complete the purchase immediately. Usually he leaves the product in the shopping cart and it stays there for three or four or five days. And then Scott comes back and makes the purchase. So my hypothesis is that I can make the process more efficient by incentivizing Scott to make the purchase faster. How do we get somebody like Scott because it's not just about one person, right? There is a segment of people that have similar types of behaviors. How do we incentivize them to complete the purchase immediately? Because we know that although, yes, Scott does come back and buys the product within four or five days, there are a lot of people that add the product to the shopping cart, but then ultimately not come back to buy. So if we can incentivize them to complete the purchase right there and then, then we can increase our They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com
0: slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.
2: What I just did is basically I analyzed the report. Based on the report, I understood what it seems like the journey of a typical customer named Scott. And now I'm building hypotheses for how I can influence the behavior. Now it becomes much easier for me to present this to my executive team, to my leadership team, not to mention think through the solutions for how to address the problem that I've identified. So that, to me, is how you construct really a narrative. You look at the reports, you look at the dashboards that are available to you, and then you are trying to visualize, so what does this actually mean from the behavior standpoint? Consumers don't think in bounce rates average time on the website. When you buy something on Amazon, do you think about, I've spent two minutes on this product page, it's time for me to go to another product page. No, we don't do that. So really to understand what is happening, we need to construct this narrative and really think about the
1: consumer, the user, not about the metrics. And so it's fair to say then that, and I think this loops back to the beginning of the conversation, that you think one of the the downfalls of marketers, perhaps analysts sometimes, is that they go to senior figures and perhaps they present the data or a dashboard or they focus on visualization, for example, more so than the narrative, which is an area that's key to achieve buy-in from senior figures, peers, prospects. Is that fair?
2: I think we need to be very clear that data is part of the narrative but it's only part of the narrative right mm. when i show somebody a report or a dashboard and uh, you know it says our drop drop off rate is 20% it's like okay well that's part of the narrative but help me understand what it actually means from the consumer standpoint right so we need to think through what consumer actions lead to a certain metric or this metric measured something that actually happened on the website. So we need to be able to translate numbers to actual actions and vice versa. And then we are able mm-hmm. to really explain, here is what consumers are doing. And by the way, I know this not just because it's in my gut and I have this feeling, but because my data is telling me this, now I can prove it. And most importantly, because I have data, now I can form a hypothesis of how to test this. We have to identify something that is working or not working and then build a hypothesis for how we can fix this or change this.
1: And on a day-to-day basis for someone like yourself, Michael, does that mean that you are equally in a product like Google Analytics as much as you are on the website kind of following the user journey or assuming a user journey and writing your narrative? Are you in both parts equally?
2: Very much so. So I use the Google Analytics and the full suite of Google Uh, products that are part of a Google marketing platform. I might also be using a number of other solutions for, let's say, heat mapping to understand. And yes, a lot of times when I'm looking at a set of reports or dashboards, I will go to the client's website and I will try to understand. So what is this actually telling me? What types of behaviors are impacting these metrics? Is this accurate observation or not, we use tools like Google Optimize or Optimize 360, which is a paid platform. And we structure A-B tests and we see how different changes on a page or how different changes with some on-site elements will impact consumer behavior.
1: And I know one question that comes up when I work with either analysts or particularly with content marketers, because everything that you described about the hypothesis and the narrative fits in with what we describe as audience profiling or persona development, which it sounds like the concept of that is something you believe in. But one area that I see people struggle with is how many personas. So for example, if you have more than one target audience, does this process, does this framework that you're talking about scale? Can you apply it if you have four or five target audiences. Do you think that's possible? Definitely.
2: Now, not all of it will be as manual, but uh, I think Mm. there's AI and uh, machine learning uh, capabilities of tools like Google Cloud. You can do a lot uh, of that. I mean, the whole idea of, let's say, personalization uh, is that every consumer, if you will, is different. Now, you will not necessarily be able to build the narrative for one million customers, right? But there are certain trends that you will always see that mm-hmm. are specific to maybe certain groups of people. Now, the key thing uh, to keep in mind here is uh, it's one thing for me to say, look, I have different uh, audiences, I have different customers, and I want to better understand each one. But it's the other thing to say is, look, I have a lot of customers and." I want to service all of them in the same fashion. That is rarely going to work in the sense that if I have different uh, audiences, if I have different types of customers, I have to think about what does each one of them need and how do I speak, if you will, to them, what type of uh, experience or what type of uh, behavior is likely to happen with that group of audience. There is a lot of work that is done by Peter Fader uh, on customer lifetime value and customer centricity, where he talks that you can really please everyone, so you have to be very careful at defining what the ideal market or what the ideal audience is for you, and then how do you service them because ultimately that's where majority of your revenue is going to come from.
1: And you've touched there as we've been talking on the understanding the why and a framework around that, and then a little bit about what, but then what we haven't spoken about is the influencing part. If we know if we know, or we have an assumption about what users need, how do we then influence what they need? And you've got this great, I can't remember what you call it. I've, I saw it referenced as a, was it an influence quadrant? Is that correct? And maybe could you expand right. on that a little bit?
2: Yeah. Yeah, an influence uh, quadrant is uh, uh, when we uh, look at our audiences and we determine how can we uh, influence them either A, we know already somebody is willing to buy, we just need to help and nudge them in the right direction or maybe, hey, here's the uh, new audience uh, that we not have worked with successfully before, but we want to start appealing to them. Right? So influence quadrant is really just how do we think about uh, the behaviors that are taking place and what needs to happen and what can we do to influence somebody to make the decision. Now, going back to our example, let's say if you leave your uh, product in the shopping cart, right? if my idea is, well, I want to influence your behavior and help you buy faster, I might say, let's test sending out more emails during the first, let's say, 24 hours to bring you back. Or I might say, well, let's test uh, giving you some kind of offer when you add uh, the product to the shopping cart So you expedite the purchase. So now I begin really testing different uh, value propositions uh, uh, and see which one is going to have the desired outcome.
1: Yeah, and I think it really comes to life, this influence quadrant, when it's visual. So on this podcast, what I'll do is I'll link in the show notes to either, I think I saw it in an article, maybe a video where you discuss the influence quadrant, but I'll link to that so people can see it. But what I was thinking as I saw it is, I always see marketers, again, analysts, business owners struggle with, you know, once they've identified an insight, how do they approach influencing that behavior? Mm -hmm. And sometimes that can be quite overwhelming. So I really like this framework because it really breaks down a very simple approach to, you know, the natural thing that people do is they do one of two things. They either say, they either go from gut instinct and opinion. they say i think this will make a difference so i'll do this or they'll refer back to a b testing let's test it but sometimes neither of those things are what's needed to achieve what you reference i think as exponential growth or exponential influence which is breaking into new markets so i really like that framework for helping solve that problem and overcoming that that overwhelming feeling that happens once you've identified an insight
2: and I think there is a lot to be said uh, for marketers to use the scientific method right to form a hypothesis to test validate those hypotheses. Uh, I recently heard the, the po- a podcast with Adam Grant about his new book uh, and uh, he he talked about a study that was done I believe in UK, in England where a group of uh, students that wanted to be entrepreneurs they started the businesses but the difference was one group. Just started with the knowledge that they had and the other group was taken through the scientific process so they understood the value and the importance of testing your hypothesis and on average the group that was exposed to the scientific method performed much better at running their business or startup idea
1: that's really interesting and i think what that's what i like here is that you've been able to in this framework combine what i often see as a tricky area of you tend to get people that are more creative and have a storytelling ability or analysts that more have that have the logic or scientific ability but your frameworks that you reference and some of the things that you reference in the book is kind of meeting of the two worlds and it's probably why you're in the role that you're in it's the kind of the happy medium between the two of understanding the business impact of those things and then also that storytelling ability is so unique, and typically you associate that with more creative marketers, so content producers, content mm. marketers and you just touched on Adam Grant there, but what what I wanted to close out today 's podcast with I know you mentioned at the beginning that it can be a pitfall to just think that tools are going to be the answer. So I don't want to give that impression to our listeners. But what I am curious about is there are certain tools, services, frameworks, or resources that help marketers understand why. So the one that comes to mind for me are tools like Hotjar, where you can see recordings, uh, or you can see heat maps. Are there any examples of things that come to mind for you, apart from the Google suite of products that you really love in this area of understanding user behavior? Certainly,
2: uh, Google uh, suite of products, and uh, now we are using uh, Google Cloud more and more, which has amazing Mm -hmm. capabilities. Uh, You have access to a lot of data, and if you know what you're looking for, you'll find a lot of valuable insights. But knowing what to look for is absolutely essential. Uh, As far as other solutions, uh, obviously, you've mentioned Hotjar, I do like uh, heat mapping uh, tools because... um, they add uh, a little bit of other perspective, if you will, uh, to reporting or dashboards that are available. I am a big fan of Looker data visualization uh, system that was recently acquired by Google and really a lot more than just a uh, data visualization. Uh, as far well, as other man. solutions, I think quantum metric, uh, which I recently began uh, using and learning more is, is quite powerful. But, um, you know, as, as somebody who, speaks quite a bit about the importance of narrative. I really think that the importance of presentation and well put together slides uh, Mm. uh, to explain the story, to explain what is happening is very powerful. We often think that a dashboard will do all the work for us. I don't think it's still the case, but I think a dashboard combined Mm -hmm. with our analysis and key insights can be very powerful uh, in an executive or in in a board meeting because that's how a lot of people still think and then you can still share a report share raw data that will be proof to an argument that you are making
1: i was going to say it was my last question but it's not my last question is on the storytelling ability on building a narrative Mm -hmm. are there any things that come to mind that have helped you on your journey because you seem to have that natural ability but i'm sure that comes lots of practice and lots of learning and by the way i think it's important before uh I think it's important because you speak. How many languages? Three, four?
2: Yeah, I speak a few, but there is nothing natural about this. Uh, I would say that <laughs> okay. my my ability to do that, and I don't still don't know if I do it well. I certainly, I always aim to do it, uh, and I think through practice it gets better. Well, I, to me, I think the books on uh, communication. Uh, there is number of books about how to present, like TED speakers. Uh, those are always great. There is a great book, uh, Never Split the Difference, about negotiation by Chris Voss. So many good insights. Yeah, And um, there are some online trains by Michael Burnoff uh, that are very good on communication. So uh, I think it's more about communication and uh, how to be interested in what people are telling you, or what people are there to understand, instead of trying to be interesting. A lot of times, uh, you know, when we share reports or dashboards, we hope that, hey, everyone will love this. Everyone will find out information interesting. To me, it's I'm here to solve a problem, right? I'm not here just to show fancy reports or dashboards. So I, I'm genuinely very curious and very interested in what information is being shared. with me.
1: you provided so much great advice in the episode. If people want to learn more about you and about InfoTrust, do you want to let them know where they, our listeners know where they can find you? Uh, sure
2: to learn more about infotrust uh, it's very easy Uh, infotrust.com and uh, to learn more about me there is a link on the website uh, and uh, you can also find find me on linkedin pretty easy michael loban feel free to uh, send me a note and i'm typically very responsive
1: this has been the internet marketing podcast michael thank you so much for your time
2: my pleasure thank you for having me